Hello, good morning, Terra Nova. How's it going? You good? You awake? You with me? All right. Hi, everybody. Hello. Uh, if you didn't know, today is actually somebody's first full day now on full-time, wait, full-time staff, first day for our new director of outreach and discipleship with a focus on our youth in Terra Youth. And his name is Blake Philippi. He's somewhere. I think he's over there somewhere. Way to go, Blake. Yep. Awesome. So if you have any objections you've had against the church for a long time or things you want to you know, complain about, Blake would love to talk to you after the service today. He's now full-time on staff. So uh, I'm going to start with a question. And it's a light question. I know some people, even though it's, what, it's 10.30 or something, some people take a while to wake up and aren't really morning people, uh, such as myself. But, so I'll ask you a light question to get you started today. Here it is. At the end of your life, if you have the opportunity to know that your life is about to end, what are you going to be banking on that you're going to wake up in heaven and not in hell? Light question, right? At the end of your life, death's around the corner and you have the opportunity to know that. No more cramming for finals. You know your death's coming. What will you be banking on that you're going to be okay? What will your confidence be in at that moment? I'll revisit that question in a bit. But we're going through Psalm 16. And if you remember last week, we got through the first eight verses and then we stopped. So today we're going to finish Psalm chapter 16. And after we ended in verse 8, and if you want to open to Psalm 16 now, you can. Or if you want to listen along, uh, that's totally fine. But we got through verse 8, and then the first word in verse 9 is therefore. And I'm no grammar teacher, but I know that when you see a therefore, you want to know what it's there for. You don't start with therefore. There's information that you need to know before the therefore to understand the result that it's about to tell you. So you don't start an argument with therefore. If you have a, a sibling and there's one cookie left, I don't recommend you go up and say, therefore, I get the last cookie probably won't go over well. You should start with, I've had a long day, I've done all the chores, you're a terrible person, I should get the cookie. Therefore, I get the cookie. And that, whatever you say, it won't go over well because they're your sibling and they'll fight you for it anyways. But you don't, you don't start with therefore, you have to understand what's before it. What's the therefore, therefore? So, why the therefore? To understand the result of what we talked about last week, let's first remember Psalm 16. I'm going to recite it for you, and then we're going to continue on through those last couple verses after I recap what we talked about last week. Sound good? Psalm 16, quick recap of last week through the first eight verses, and then we'll talk about verses 9 through 11. Here's Psalm chapter 16 from King David. Preserve me, O God. Just hear, hear his words. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my lot. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. What an incredible psalm, is it not? Now, last week we got through the first eight verses, and we talked about how the main idea of this psalm, this psalm by King David that was intensely personal, throughout the psalm we see my 12 times, my lot, my lines, my, my soul, my flesh, my heart, intensely personal between him and the Lord. God wants a personal relationship with us. And we see the main idea of that psalm is the Lord, God, is my foundation for life and death. God is my foundation for life and death. And last week we saw David making that statement of faith that God is his foundation for life. He said, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. He's saying whatever it is that used to be his source of objective truth, what he lived for, where he went for accountability, where he went for the meaning of his life, whatever it used to be, now it's God. And I'm going to try to speak louder than a motorcycle. I can do that. Whatever it used to be, now it is God, the foundation for his life. God can be the foundation for our life as well. And as he said, I have no good apart from you. It's not that we deserved it, earned it, somehow we're smart enough to get it, to make God our foundation. Free gift, once and for all, you accept that. You say, God, you be my Lord and Savior. You be the source of truth in my life. Be my Lord. Be my foundation. That's a one-time gift that we accept. But we see in Psalm 16, it's a continual decision that David made to set the Lord before him in order to live a life that is content in the Lord. As he said, my line, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. He's saying because God is the foundation of my life, I'm not going to forget him. I'm going to focus. I'm going to concentrate on thinking about him through the highs, through the lows of my life, through all of it. I set the Lord before me. And that's how you live a life of contentment and concentration on him. You set him before you. And the result is, the therefore, here's what the therefore is therefore. In verse 9, the result, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. When God is the foundation of our life and we're focusing on him throughout our life, that leads to a life of being content, a life of worship that we are meant to live. We are made as worshipers. We're all worshiping something. That's a whole nother message, but guarantee it, you're worshiping something. And when we're worshiping the God who made us, we can live a life of contentment and of praise. And he is worth worshiping and praising as we do every Sunday, being people of praise. When we sing those songs, we have a reason to celebrate. Is anyone watching the Olympics? Anybody? I think the Olympics are awesome. But I'm going to read a ver Don't think I'm hating on the Olympics when I read this verse to you. Because uh, I love the Olympics. I've watched as much as I can so far. But here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Really good chance he was talking about the Olympic Games that started in the 8th century BC in Olympia, Greece. And he's not hating on the Olympics, and I'm not hating, I love the Olympics. But what he's saying is, 
if we're living for something, a gold medal, whatever, whatever it is, that's going to perish, that's not a lot of reason to celebrate, at least have lasting celebration. And I believe that the true, a true Christian has more reason to celebrate than the most decorated Olympian. Do you, do you think that? Do you believe that? Because we have something that lasts forever. The promises of God that he gives about our life and about the future that goes on forever in eternity, that's a reason to celebrate. Let's not be content to set our highest hopes and joys on something that's not going to last. That's what Paul's saying there. Let's be people of praise. And you might think to yourself, okay, like I've heard, I've heard about God and I hear these things that, that do excite me, but I'm afraid to show my worship and my praise because what are other people going to think about me? What are they going to think if they see me raising my hands or something? What are they going to think if they see me? Here's my response. Who cares what they think? It's between you and him. Do you know that David was made fun of from worshiping God before? In 2 Samuel 6, he's, he's celebrating, he's praising God as the Ark of the Covenant is being brought into Jerusalem, God's presence with his people. And his wife, Michal, it says in 2 Samuel 6, saw him and was embittered. Let me read it to you in verse 16. She saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Maybe she was embarrassed. Oh, my husband again. He can't dance, and he's trying to worship, but it's embarrassing. And let me just, let me just approach him here and tell him to cut it out. No dancing skills. Maybe, maybe she wasn't embarrassed. Maybe she thought, he's trying to show off. I know his motives. He's not really praising God. He's trying to just get people's attention. She thought she knew. And do you know how King David responded? He basically said to her, I don't care if you don't think I'm praising God. He says in verse 22, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this and will be abased in your eyes. He's saying, I'm going to worship God. The primary relationship in my life is him. And when I celebrate and rejoice who he is and what he's doing, I'm going to be free to do that. Let's not be afraid to worship God. And there's no reason to be ashamed of it. It is what we were made for, to be worshipers. Okay. God is the foundation for my life. It makes sense. He's the Lord of life. But we see in the rest of these verses, verses 9 through 11 in Psalm 16, he's not only the foundation of, of King David's life and can be the foundation of our life, he's the foundation for his death as well. You ready to talk about some death? All right. Verses 9 through 11. Here's what he says. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forever. Do you remember the very beginning of this psalm? where David said, preserve me, O God, for in, you, for in you I take refuge. We said last week, there's no context here that Saul's chasing him with a spear or his son's trying to overtake the throne or there's some immediate crisis. Maybe there was, but it doesn't say there was. And there's no need for us, remember, to approach God when we feel anxious about our life, even when there's not immediate crisis. We can do that. We can go to the Lord in prayer when we feel insecure about our future or about our life, even though there's no immediate crisis threat, or immediate danger. And that's what David does. And perhaps we see at the end of this psalm as he's saying, my flesh dwells secure. Maybe he was thinking about his physical life and had some fear about death. Do you ever fear death? Every honest person here is going to say, yes, I have thought about and I have been afraid 
of death before. And you know, that's something that separates us from everything and everyone else. Every, all the animals, we're made in God's image, we can think about those things. You don't see hippos sitting around a lake talking to each other, you don't see that anyways, but if you had two hippos, one of them named Pistachio, it's a good name for a hippo, and the other hippo named, what would be a good name for the other hippo? Any of the kids got one, somebody? What was it? Obi-Wan. Okay, so you got Pistachio the hippo taking a sip, and you got Obi-Wan the other hippo hanging out with Pistachio, and they're getting a drink by the water, and Pistachio says to Obi-Wan, you know, this has been a good day, it's been warm out, the weather's nice, we've had a lot of water, I feel hydrated, look at those other hippos over there, and Obi-Wan says to Pistachio, yeah, but we're going to die one day, so I feel pretty anxious right now. You don't, that doesn't happen. Only humans, we're aware of that, and we think about that, and that's right, because we're supposed to, and think about what is the foundation, not just for my life, but for my death of what's going to happen in the future. We can make God the foundation for our life, but also for the future. David now knows. He started with saying, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And now he's saying, and now he's saying, my flesh dwells secure. He has confidence that God is not going to abandon him in his death. When he says in verse 10, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, before we jump to Jesus, and I, I get it, we should do that very frequently. It's what, it's what the whole story of the Bible's about. It points to Jesus, the King of Kings, the one who came for us to rescue us. But David, in that moment of anxiety and thinking about his life and what's going to happen after he's dying, David was not at that moment thinking about a future Jesus. I don't think he was. I think he was thinking about his own life. And he's saying to God, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. This word Sheol basically means grave. And for the Israelites, before Jesus, there was overall a pretty grim reality of, uh, that they thought about the grave in the afterlife. Sheol to them was this concept of a gloomy destination, thought of by most of them as a place of a colorless, shadowy underworld that was cut off from all that made life worth living. They weren't excited about the thought of the afterlife, of eternity, at large among the Jewish people. That doesn't mean there weren't passages in the Old Testament that talk about the future resurrection and what the Messiah is going to do and all those things and hope after, after death. But a lot of those in Daniel 12 and Isaiah 26 were written after the life and death of David. He didn't hear those things. Now David will say in Psalm 17 as he has this hope inspired by, by God where he says, As for me, I will awake in your likeness. He knew there was, there was some hope in the future with God. He just didn't know how it would play out. But it was Jesus who brought the atomic bomb of hope of what happens to us after we die when we belong to the Lord. An atomic bomb of hope. He defeated sin. He defeated death so that we don't have to fear death and that we don't have to be controlled by the power of sin anymore. And when he comes back, he's going to finish it once and for all, no more death, dying, sin, disease, any of those things ever again. But for now, it lingers. Sin is definitely still here. Death is definitely still here. And odds are very good we're going to die just the same way David did, physically die. And there are times that we still fear it, don't we? We had a speaker when I was in grad school uh, at Liberty. His name is Joe White. And he was the defensive line coach at Texas A&M, and he has this 
incredible Christian camp called Canacook that I've heard a lot of good things about. But when he was there speaking to us, he, there, were, there were some moments of real vulnerability where he told us there was a time not long before then that he was very sick, didn't know if he would make it, doctors didn't know, and he was, he was a bit anxious about dying. He was a Christian a long time. He went to the Bible school class. He heard the sermons. He had a living faith in God. But when, when he thought he might be dying soon, his sincere question he told us was just this between him and God. Lord, are you going to be there? Just from the heart, sincere question. God, I know I've heard it. Are you going to be there for me after I die? God tells us that he will not abandon us in death. And here's something else. Some of us, this may be a timely word. And I hope it's not. But I think that often when we hear about death, we tend to think, okay, somebody else. I got time. I'm fine. This message might be really timely for somebody. It's not me. And we all tend to think that. And I hope, I hope that's true for everybody here right now. Me too. <laughs> I hope that's true. But it's not something we want to neglect, that question. Are we having our hope and our faith in the one who will not abandon us in the grave? Do we believe in the only one who walked out of the grave? We want to know the answer to that question because we are going to be dead a lot longer than we are alive. Did you hear that? We're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. So we want to know the answer to that question. Where is our hope? Where is our confidence? He will not abandon you in your death. He's the conqueror of death, of your death, but not just of your death, of death itself. When David says, you will not abandon my soul, I think he was thinking about himself. And when he said, you will not let your holy one see corruption, I still think he's talking about himself. You will not let my body just sit there in decay forever, and that's the end of me. But while he's talking about himself, there's something bigger happening here. There is a promise being fulfilled that transcended his own experience that became historically true in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who conquered death itself. Peter talks about it in Acts chapter 2 when he said, God raised him, Jesus, up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and then he quotes Psalm 16, his soul was not abandoned. The Holy One of God, the God-man, his body did not see corruption because there was no corruption found in him. Death couldn't hold him. He conquered it. So we no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to be anxious about it. At least we don't have to stay there. When we have those thoughts, we can say, again, preserve me, O Lord, and, and recite these promises that he's given to us about the future, about paradise with him, what we were made for. He is the Lord of life. Make him the foundation of your life if you haven't. He's also the conqueror of death. And more than that, he is the joy of eternity. And we see that in verse 11. Here's my favorite verse in this psalm. Here it is. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. Notice throughout the psalm there's those 12 my's. My lot, my, my flesh, my soul. At the end there's these three you's. You and your. You will show me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This focus on God. 
Let's look at them one at a time. You make known to me the path of life. When I look this up, it's in the future tense. You will show me the path of life. And I thought about the disciples. When Jesus told them, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And you're going to be where I am. And they say to him, we don't know where you're going. How do we get there? How do we make sure that we align? You know, can you send me the GPS coordinates from where I go after I die? I don't really know where you're going. He is the path of life. He's life. And he will show us. He will lead us. He will be our guide. Not just in life, but also in death. And you might be thinking, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, and you're thinking, but there's, there's times in my life that I do not feel like he's leading me. I don't always feel like he's leading me. And to that I say, yep, welcome to the faith that he's trying to grow in us. Because he wants to grow us and mature us and grow us up where we can trust him when we feel like we're experiencing his presence and his leadership in our lives and when we don't. And to be able to help each other when we experience those same doubts and frustrations and questions. He wants to grow our faith. Don't leave your guide. If you trust a tour guide to lead you through a dark cave, I recommend you don't stop after step number 25. I recommend you stay with that guide. And when you choose God to be your guide in life and death, don't walk another direction when you don't know what he's doing for a chapter of your life or however long of a season. We don't always make sense of our lives in the present. We live in the present, but we make sense of our lives often by looking in the rearview mirror, by looking at the past, seeing where his fingerprints are, seeing where he's led us. And even that, we won't see the whole picture. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, now I know in part. Then I will know fully as I am fully known. He is our guide in life and in death. He will show us the path of life. He is the path of life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one sees the Father except through Jesus. And in his presence, listen to this. Can you just hear what he says here? In the presence of God, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Do you want joy? Do you want joy in your life? Do you want joy in the lives of the people around you? Where do you go for it? Where do you find it? In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. When something's full, how much more can you put into it? Anybody? Did everybody fall asleep? How much more can you put into something that's full? You can't put anything else into it. It's full. In the presence of God is fullness of joy. Not just the greatest joy that we can experience so far on earth that we will experience in heaven. We will have capacities in heaven for joy that we at the moment can't even understand. And that will be full in his presence. When I was 10 years old, I didn't remember most things that preachers said. Just didn't. But when I was 10 years old, I do remember an older pastor in a church in New Jersey talked about heaven for a little bit. And I remember exactly what he said. He said, I want all of you to think about the greatest, most joyful moment you've ever had so far in your life. And I'm 10 years old, so I'm probably thinking about action figures or something. That was the best. And he says, whatever joyful experience you've had that you're thinking of, that is a drop in the ocean of the joy of eternity where we're going to be in the presence of the one who is fullness of joy. Fullness. It's really hard for us to grasp this because even when we experience joy on earth, it's often mixed with sorrow, isn't it? Like a thorn under a rose. 
joy but also sorrow, or sorrow right around the corner, or sorrow even sometimes during that event of joy that's mixed with some fun and joy but also with some harsh reality and pain. But I want us to remember when we're hurting here, when we're hungry here, remember the eternal banquet coming. When we're sick here, remember the everlasting health and salvation that's coming. When we're imprisoned here, remember the endless liberty and freedom there is in the Lord. Any sorrow here, don't forget that sorrow will be turned into joy. Jesus said in John 16, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Matthew 25, at the end of a parable, it says, enter into the joy of your master. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. He will show us the path of life. And then finally, he says, at your right hand are pleasures forever. Not only is he an endless fountain of joy, but the pleasures of heaven and of God, the creator of pleasure, will never wither, will never lessen, will never be interrupted, will never die. It will last forever. Why? Because he is forever. They will be eternal because he is the God of eternity. Quick quote from Charles Spurgeon in The Treasury of David, my favorite commentary on the Psalms. He says, To bring his chosen to eternal happiness was the high ambition which inspired him and made him wade through a sea of blood. O God, when the worldling's mirth has all expired, forever with Jesus may we dwell at your right hand, where there are pleasures forever. Heaven's joy is immeasurable without any intermission and without end. Fullness of joy, pleasures forever. Now maybe some of you are here thinking, that sounds too good to be true. And I understand that thought. Because maybe like me, maybe you've had many instances where someone was trying to convince you of something that sounded too good to be true and then was. Or maybe you yourself have had your hopes built up in something, maybe multiple times. This is the thing. This is what I've been waiting for. And then you get there and you realize, okay, maybe it was really good, but it's not what gives me the lasting fulfillment that I've been searching for my whole life. And maybe you don't know that yet, but wait a month, wait a year. What is it that will give us, give us that lasting fulfillment that we were made for? I'm not telling you to take my word for it. Please don't. I'm asking you to take the word of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who, if you make him the foundation for your life and for your death, you're not going to regret it. The words of Jesus. God is my foundation for life throughout our life, through the present, setting our focus and our concentration on him to find contentment in life and to learn more about him. But God is also the foundation of my death, where I won't need to stretch any more spiritual muscles or eyes of faith because my eyes and your eyes will see him. And you won't have to work for joy because you will be in the presence of the one who is fullness of joy. So let's get back to that initial question. 
at the end of your life, if you have that opportunity to know death's around the corner, it's knocking, cramming for finals is done, the finals that matter, and you know it's coming, where is your confidence going to be? What are you going to be banking on that you're going to be okay, that you're going to wake up in heaven, that you've done what God's called you to do, what matters? Where will your hope be? Now, I know that in life, there are a lot of right answers to a lot of different questions, but not this question. To this question, there, there really is one right answer. Part of the definition of truth is that it gets rid of every other false lie. There's one truth here. Where is your hope going to be in? Where's your confidence? What are you banking on? What will you be banking on? I hope it's not your SAT scores. I hope it's not how many people you've smiled at or made feel good. I hope it's not how many baskets you made. I hope it's not how well you've raised your children. I hope it's not how many gold medals you've made, had. I hope it's not how well you've done in your job, how big of an impact you've made, how much money you've given away. Those might be really good things, but it can't be where your confidence is. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. The good news is Jesus, the one who didn't just come to make you into a good person. He came to raise you from the grave, to make dead men and women live here and forever. The one person who walked out of the grave, his soul was not abandoned in Sheol. The Holy One did not experience corruption because there was no corruption found in him. Zero. Make him the foundation of your life because he lived a perfect, sinless life, completely focused on the Lord and pleasing the Heavenly Father. And make him the foundation of your death because he's the only one who conquered it. And he cares you and wants to be your guide, your shepherd, not just through your life, but through your entire existence in eternity. Make him your foundation. I'm going to close with a verse, a little bit paraphrased. It's found in Isaiah, it's found in John, it's found in Revelation. And hear the words of God before we continue to worship him and celebrate communion, what he's done for us in living and dying for us. Here's what the word of God says. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for this day, this beautiful day, where we can come together as communally, Lord, as the body of Christ, to be people of praise, to worship you for who you are, to learn more about you, to know the one who is fullness of joy, not just the one who created pleasure, but the one who wants to give it to us, the one who wants us to live to our highest potential and to see with our eyes the one who's made us, the one who knows us. You, Jesus. But God, we don't just come as a body. We don't just come as a group. We come individually with people with different stories, different experiences, people that need to hear from you directly in our own way. 
And Lord, I pray you do that. Do it through your word. Draw us to yourself in the way that truly only you can. Lord, what greater joy could we have, could I ask of you, than that every person here, every person hearing this, would make you the foundation for our life and for our death. And we pray this in the name of the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah, and your people said, Amen.